All of our files are free and will remain free. If you like the show, you can show support by donating $1 to help with expenses. Just use the PayPal link on our website, YouTube channel, or Facebook page. Thanks. Welcome back to part two of this Shakespeare mystery. We're talking with uh, the code master, permit me to say that, Peter Amundsen from Norway, who has made this huge discovery that uh, we're just starting to scratch the surface of when we're unraveling it now for you. Remember, when we talk about things here, it's just examples. It's just a little bit of the whole puzzle. Otherwise, we would have to have like a 10-hour program to try to cover it all so anyway we're in now we've established at this point that there are certain uh, brilliant people uh, like bacon and johnson and neville and they have uh, put some codes in that indicates rosicrucian and rosicrucians indicate the lost tomb the treasure of father crc which reminds us of of course knight templars mythos and i guess we'll take it from there but by the way peter i just want to ask you one fact question about your codes in the beginning we were discussing if it was coincidental you know how deliberate this was but let's be honest it's not as if code experts hasn't looked at this take for instance this uh, sigmund or what his name is this hungarian uh, they call him the most intelligent man in the world Uh, what did he say he was very pleased with what i had written in the book I sent him the book, uh, which was published uh, in Sweden at the time. Uh, he's a Swedish-Hungarian guy, so uh, he read it in Swedish. And um, he called me when I was in the, the supermarket. And uh, he was uh, making my day by saying that uh, he was so uh, so uh, agreeing. And uh, I had inspired him a lot. Mm. So, but then you have other people like uh, a guy called Barry, who is um, he's an expert in Bacon and Shakespeare, and he has a doctorate in in uh, in Shakespeare and and Bacon uh, because he has written that uh, the Tempest must have been written by by Bacon, and he is also a puzzle maker and uh, intelligent guy, no doubt. But I presented him with the Apidros across and he said that no it's not a perfect uh, three for five triangle because to him the slope wasn't 37 degrees it was 37.1 right yeah so I mean mm. it's uh, on that level so um, if you refuse to uh, accept it then you will never accept it so mm. even if it's there yeah, let's let's hope that a margin of 0.1 is tolerated. I mean, back then they didn't have computers, so it was by hand. But the, the first one, what was his name? Uh, Jola Sigmund. Yeah, and he's a cryptograph. What's his profession or expertise? He has a perfect background for it because he, he is uh, a top-notch Freemason. Mm-hmm. And he is uh, an architect and he is a typographer. Mm. And for a living, he makes codes and ciphers. He's so intelligent. He has an IQ of 192. So he writes these uh, IQ puzzles that you find in newspapers and in books. And he's uh, chairman of Mensa or, or something. So, I see. 
Yeah, so uh, this was the, the man that I sought up because he could bless my findings. Yeah. If anyone could uh, Yola see could. what I saw, then Yola would be the man. And uh, I was spot on. Mm. Uh, isn't it possible to take your codes, put it into a computer, put the Shakespearean stuff in there and just get out a result like a Donald Duck computing? <laughs> I think that uh, to do write that software you would have to uh, <laughs> I, I think it's impossible but what about just uh, the statistical verification there must be numbers here yeah there are but uh, it's astronomical but then again you have coincidences that are astronomical so yeah but it's not like you have one find that is astronomic and then and the rest is trying to force the material to fit your find it's the opposite it's that every damned find we can say that it's the internet is uh, anomalous is blowing the the probabilities statistically right <laughs> i think they are yes to me they are and uh, what is important is that they they all contribute to construct a whole picture, picture yeah mm. so it's not uh, pointing in different directions it all adds to to really lock one picture into place okay so let's follow this picture then Yes, we, we need to follow it. The elements we have, we have the three, four, five triangle. Mm -hmm. We have um, the Rosicrucians that uh, we just accept that they are involved and that the, the Rosicrucians encourage us to look for a place. Right. So how can we find that place? That is, uh, of course, the, the big uh, question. Mm -hmm. um, there are two contemporary Shakespeare publications that are important. You have the, the plays uh, that uh, were published in the, the first folio, but you also have poems called the sonnets. And in the sonnets, which uh, have the publishing date of 1609, which I put a question mark at, I will not go into this now, but the first page there, first uh, printed page, uh, without uh, just saying that here are the Shakespeare sonnets published by so-and-so, there is this, uh, not to the reader, but uh, to the author, mm. to the only begetter. And on this, this uh, curious poem, which is um, it, it's set up in a geometric way. We have, you have two triangles on top of each other. And in the margins, you, you will see that you have a repetition of the T-W-O. So we have two also here. Right. Um, but you have more letters, of course. You have um, the the two is uh, is reversed. It's uh, so O W T. Mm -hmm. And uh, before the O, you have a B, and then you have an H following the T. So you have got five letters B, O, W, T. H. Right. And on top you have T-T-M-A-P. T-T-Map. And if you're looking for a place, then you need a map. So what kind of map is this? T-T. What is a T-T-Map? Uh, it could mean the treasure, T-T. Yes, because in the, in the sonnets, yeah. you do not have page numbers. You just have the numbers right. of the sonnets themselves. Right. So then you need to go to sonnet number two. 
And sonnet number two has a number as word number two. Right. And that is 40. Mm-hmm. And if you go two and 40 words down into the sonnets, you will find a pair of words, both beginning with T. And these are the only T-T couples in uh, in this uh, sonnet. So they are not uh, all over the place. But Not just on the page, but on the whole sonnet. On this sonnet. This, the sonnet is just 14 lines. So oh, not okay. that many words. But at least in the sonnet, it's the only T-T pair. And as word number 42, you have treasure. So you have the wow. treasure, and right. uh, that fits very much to the picture. So one of the words was there, and the other word was treasure, when you look at, uh, at the sonnet. You have the word two, you go to sonnet two. Word two in sonnet two is 40. And two and 40 words down into the same sonnet, you find treasure, and the word preceding it is the. Ah, right. So that, that's a confirmation, the treasure the treasure yeah and the reason why 2 and 40 is important is that i know it from somewhere else because uh, symbolically it represents creation in the same way that uh, 144 out of 168 is creation with the with the hours of the creative week god created the world in 6 days and rested on the 7th and uh, you have six by seven, which is 42. So the treasure map. And then we have just to pause that a little bit because we need to take the three for five triangle one step further because we didn't find 53 once, we found it twice. twice of course. So the hypothesis is that we need two three for five triangles. And this also matches the age of Father R.C. He didn't become 53 years old. He was 106 years old. So if we put these two triangles uh, next to each other, if we glue the four sides together so that uh, you you have one united four side and you have two three sides and two five sides, the hypothesis, then you will have half of uh, what is a wonderful uh, version of the square and compasses emblem of the Freemasons. And we know that the Freemasons and the Rosicrucians are rumored to have the same source. Mm. But the Freemasons officially began later on. And uh, some say that the Rosicrucians developed into Freemasonry. But I say that the early Freemasonry was organized, organized um, Rosicrucianism. Yeah, and, and people were even identified both as Masons and Rosicrucians at the same time. Yes, so so the Rosicrucians, uh, the Rosicrucianism was the, the philosophical uh, foundation, but nobody were Rosicrucians, but many were Freemasons. So Freemasons, mm. they were the, the club, the membership, the brotherhood, but the... the uh, the invisible part was uh, the Rosicrucians. Mm. I call them an elite segment within Masonry. Yeah, but we don't know who were the Rosicrucians. We can say that maybe Michael Meyer was a Rosicrucian, mm. but uh, we don't know uh, Andrea was a Rosicrucian, but he never confessed to it. So nobody confessed to being a Rosicrucian. But we know people who were Freemasons, like Elias Ashmole. 
in the 1640s and he had his own translations of the Fama and the Confessio mm. that he uh, he had made himself so and, and but uh, hey he even um, created something called invisible college it turned into the royal society but that's taken straight out of Rosicrucian law the invisible yes. college and you have the card to claim not to be a Rosicrucian because hey you can see me Rosicrucians are invisible <laughs> yeah right exactly so, uh, yeah. yeah. So, so I think that the Rosicrucians they were invisible. Uh, the Masons they were as they were in the Shakespearean manuscript, right? Anonymous. Yes, you, you need uh, <laughs> a strong uh, loop or the looking glass, a magnifying glass to uh, to see. Yeah. Well, okay. So just to uh, make a long story short here, we establish a Masonic square and compasses emblem based on two. Three for five triangles, and then you have two uh, isosceles uh, triangles at the bottom. Mm. So you you need a square at the bottom, and this makes a six by seven setup because you have the the three uh, in the bottom, and then you enter the the three for five triangle, the four side there. So you have the three plus four. So you have seven steps moving up, and you have uh, six units going across. So this is basically the the map structure that we are looking for so when we find the tt map then that is uh, six by seven which is 42 the treasure map and the acrostic which is called because if you you, you take the leftmost uh, letter of a line and read up or down that is called an acrostic and if you continue the acrostic tt map and the b o w t and the age, then um, then you have the the first part of building the map more into something that is uh, useful because you you have the pattern but you don't have the names. You don't know where shall we put this emblem, the, the six by seven square encompass. What what can we do with it? Peter, pardon me, but uh, uh, you kind of lost me and probably also most listeners. Then could you just explain to us what this B O W T is relevant for? I'm coming to it because oh, right. okay. I'm saying that this is a name of something that is most useful on a map. Okay. This is the Greek version of spelling Boötis. Ah, okay. I get it. Now I'm with you again. Okay. Yes. So you have TT map and then you have Boötis. Mm-hmm. Which is a constellation, a star sign. Right. You don't know where to put it. So what shall we do with it? But at least you have one element to put into the puzzle. You're constructing a map. Right. Did you realize this had anything to do with a map at this point when you saw that word? I'm giving you uh, <laughs> the listener-friendly version, my <laughs> friend. So, okay, uh, okay. What I did, I, I spent years. I see, I see. Okay, let's take the abbreviated version. I agree. I, I'm not uh, having 192 IQ, so. <laughs> But you have 192 in intuition, so that's. And my intuition is, is uh, and this is something that I would like to to recommend that if you if you take your uh, intuition and and uh, listen to it and uh, give it the chance, you respect it, then uh, mm-hmm. it can produce magic. Mm, I agree with that. So you have to develop the the inner listening. Um, Right. And for those who now are using the outer listening, take them further. We have, we have established that you found the constellation, actually. Yes. 
So I see that we have the constellation, and um, but this is just one. But the poem is is the sign of TT. We don't know who is TT. What is TT? Mm -hmm. But there is a play in the first folio that has the initials TT, and that is the first play, the one that has page two on it. <laughs> so this this is the tempest. The tempest, of course. And the first word in the, the Tempest is Boatswain. Wow. And it is written without an A. It's right, written Boatswain. And when you go back to uh, the sonnets, you will see that this uh, To the Only Begetter poem has indeed W-A-I-N as well. Hmm. So you have the Boatswain there and you have the Boatswain in uh, the tempest beginning it mm. and now we have two constellations because the wayne is uh charles wayne uh the big dipper or uh, the big bear ursa Major. Mm. Uh, and then i went to my oxford english dictionary and uh, i looked for wayne because wayne i i didn't know that much english so so i had to look it up mm. So I said, so it's a constellation. Wow, it's a constellation. Oh, it's, it's near Boatis. <laughs> and um, it it's, uh, was a quote there that the Boatis uh, and Wayne was part of the same sentence. So, so I, I thought it was just fantastic that you have Boatis and you have Wayne. And Shakespeare put this as the first word in the first play, in the, in the first folio. And uh, which uh, has uh, page two with the F bacon and the cipher. That that is that is fantastic. Mm. And uh, then looking further in uh, the first folio, I noticed that Wayne has been written once in the whole big book, nine hundred and eight pages, and uh, nine hundred thousand words. Wayne is used once. once. That's significant. Do you remember which page uh, that was? Uh, no, I forgot. That was the second page with Bacon, page 53, 53 of in course. Histories. Of course. There you have Wayne. Mm, mm. You have Botus, uh, just uh, to the opposite side of it. So you have Botus and you have Wayne on the same side. Uh, and uh, there is beautiful geometry tied to this, which is impossible to uh, delineate on the the radius. No, but but is it the one with the tree of life? Uh, no, it's the one with the the, with the I am wheel. Right, right, okay. You will mm. see this in the in the video. This, yeah. The video is free to watch, cost you nothing. Just follow the link, people, and it's very entertaining. Very yes, entertaining. four episodes of fifty. 53 minutes, lo and behold. And some people say, aha, you're 53 minutes, but I'll promise you that. <laughs> I never thought about that. You're right. <laughs> the director, he worked his ass off to try to make it 53 minutes. So this right. is done on purpose. Yeah, but not so sophisticated, I dare say, as in the Shakespearean play, though. But hey, did you put your work with other codes deliberately as a game? Uh, we have some... There, There is a, a code in the, the ebook, and there is also some... Well, uh, an homage in the, the Norwegian organist uh, book, but uh, the ebook e uh, has a cipher, so uh, you're cool. welcome to try to, to find it. Uh, okay, we'll get back to your book at the end. Just continue the journey with us. Okay, so we have the TT map, which is the square and compasses six by seven. We, we have both this and we have Wayne. And uh, we see that Wayne is printed on uh, page 53. Three. 
Yes, and um, we have other angles here. We have the 37 degrees angles as well. So I, I'll go for the first page 37 to see if there is some kind of match here because we have 53 and both this and maybe there is something on 37. So the first 37 is in the, the comedies and as an acrostic, I see Albireo, which is one of the stars in uh, the Cygnus, the swan in the sky, the, the Northern Cross. I mean, huh. I find a, another star, page 37. Yeah. And I turn to uh, the next page uh, 37, I see that as a telestic, which is uh, the, the far side of the line, you have Deneb tied to the word's boots. Mm -hmm. And that is another star in the swan. And the swan will be related uh, in a three, four, five triangle setup with Bootis and the Wayne, because Bootis is also a word for the biggest star in Bootis, which is called Arcturus, mm. which uh, some people just call Bootis. It's, it's a big uh, star. Of, uh, so both. now you're starting to identify particular stars. Yeah. This yes. this sounds like something you can actually use practically. Yes, it, you can. Because if you take Arcturus, which is the Alpha Botis, and you take the middle of the wane inside of that big dipper in the middle of it, mm -hmm. and then you go to Deneb, which is the Alpha Cygni, the biggest star of the, the swan, mm. then you have a right angle. If you if you start has the viewpoint over uh, over the Big Dipper, then it will be a right angle because of the spherical shape of the the sky. It's impossible to to make it fit everywhere. But if you have a central focus on on the wane, then uh, it is a right angle, and the sides are three and four, and then it follows that the hypotenuse will be five. Mm. So we have a three four five triangle in the sky, and <laughs> this is very promising. And we also know that. Uh, that Ben Johnson in this poem that I referred to, where you have fame and confess as word uh, 17 and then plus three, he calls Shakespeare the sweet swan of Avon. And then he continues, but stay, I see thee in the hemisphere advanced and made a constellation there. Shine forth, thou star of poets. Oh so he, he says that, that Shakespeare is a star in the swan. <laughs> yeah, but wow. It's like saying to people, hey, the Shakespearean place has something to do with this constellation in the sky. I, I mean, you can't say it more clear than that. No. And then you have the, the page numbers in the book that gives you the degrees in the in the setup, but you only get a three for five triangle here because you need more, because you have the whole square and compass emblem. So you need to fill it out. And then Ben Johnson enters the stage uh -huh. because he has written about the Rosicrucians. And in the same year that the first folio was published, 1623, uh -huh. His library burnt down, and he, in his agony, wrote an execration upon Vulcan, the fire god. Yeah. And in this poem, he writes about acrostics and telestics and etiostics and different kind of uh, games or cipher methods, if you like. And he talks about the rosy cross, and this is what he says, the chimera of the rosy cross. And we also know that in the foreword of the first English translation of uh, the fame and the confession of the Rosicrucians in 1652, 
the translator he talks about this beautiful chimera, the Rossi cross. Uh, so what is the chimera? <clears throat> and the chimera is a goat with a lion's head and a serpent's or dragon's tail. And these are animals, and the animals are found in the sky. Mm. So lo and behold, around this tri three, four, five triangle in the sky with uh, Bootis and the Wayne and the Swan, you have the lion's head just below the Wayne, the head of Leo, mm. and you have a goat which is uh, called Capella, and um, the distance between the Wayne and Bootis is equal, exact to the distance between the Wayne and Capella, following the same line. So we have the two, three, four, five triangles here. And if you uh, go down into the lion's head, you have the complete uh, six by seven square encompasses, the seven Masonic steps leading from the lion's head to the tail of the swan. Hmm. And this is this is uh, more than a coincidence. Mm. If it's coincidence, that it's it is uh, legendary. One should write books about. It. No, but Johnson and these guys, they, they knew about the heaven back then. That you had to, if you were a sailor, you used the constellations. It's not just for astrology and astronomy, but even for practical purposes. So it's not as if this is a, a stretch by any kind of the. Oh, and one of the the prefatory. Uh, poems to Shakespeare refers to the the celestial globe as well exactly so, right. that are, so, so many coincidences here so, so you have now a cross in the sky so where do you go next? We have the cross in the sky we have the map, the cross in the sky mm -hmm. and we, if we were uh, uh, astronauts we had a place where we could go, we could go and visit Dene but uh, that's <laughs> somewhat impractical yeah and uh, I think it uh, would be difficult for Ben Johnson and uh, Shakespeare and his friends to, to put something on the end. Right. So what do they do? What can they do? Mm. Uh, how can this be a practical, functional map? And we all know the adage, as above, so, so below. below. Mm. And this is what is taking place here, because... On old globes, for instance, the Mercator globe of 1540s, the, the globe of the Earth, the terrestrial globe, mm. he has painted stars onto this. Yes. Because you can have a celestial globe as much as you can have a terrestrial globe. We just uh, have the same kind of grid system with uh, an equator and a meridian, and you just fill in the, the 360 degrees uh, both ways. And you, so we have the references. Yeah, because people remember that back then ships were the big thing. That's how you got around. So this was practical for, for sailing to have uh, a, a detailed knowledge of how the globe, how the earth corresponds to the heaven. So it's not just hermetic, but it's also that. And we know that Bacon and these guys were hermetists. So, so it's both, actually. It's both practical and symbolical. But continue. It's wonderful because this um, this the six by seven uh, square encompasses emblem in the Masonic uh, realm. You would think of that as the old covenant, so the these Old Testament things, the uh, building of the temple, etc. And where you are led is the top of the 
cross in the sky. And some people have seen this as a prophecy for Christianity, and that will then be the new covenant. So that you have a unification of the old and the new pact in that star. Mm-hmm. So it is beautiful symbolism, and you take the seven steps and you go towards the top. And in the Masonic term, you will go to the top of the compasses, and the compasses represent represents God's mercy. So it's the right. God's... This is also the seven steps of alchemy. Yeah. the work in alchemy, actually. Okay, you have the you have the seven steps. So you you climb the seven steps, and then you are at the point where to you would like to climb and this is the represented in sky with uh, Deneb and when you look at old maps you will see that this star Deneb is painted onto the celestial uh, sorry the, the the earth globe mm. uh, the terrestrial globe and it is found at the coast of Canada wow so if you if you go to Deneb on the globe you will end up in Canada, of all places. You will end up in Nova Scotia. Nova Scotia. And uh, don't we know that there's rumors about the Knight Templars uh, going there? Yes, there are. And uh, there are rumors, but we, I, I really hate to speculate. So I know what I know is that in 1613, the British were given uh, the grant to Nova Scotia from the French. So in this time we're talking about here, Nova Scotia was English. English. That's significant. At least we can know this. So Mm, mm. what the Templars did, I can only speculate, but uh, I have a much stronger case to say that there were British traffic here and they actually owned the place in the the key time window that uh, I'm looking at. Did Bacon have any ties to Canada? Yes, he was part of uh, a corporation uh, that owned that part of Canada. Huh. But I don't think that he ever went there himself. But uh, At least not alive. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe he uh, discovered uh, the elixir of life. Or, uh, so where in Nova Scotia? How exact can we be about the place? In the early 1600s, you didn't have the exactitude of uh, perfect uh, longitude, but latitude was uh, was precise. Mm. So you know uh, which uh, which part um, latitude-wise, but longitude you have to give a little leeway here. Okay. Um, but if we are thinking parallels and knowing that the Tempest, which is the play that holds all these keys, is uh, something taking place on an island. We should look for the coast. Mm-hmm. And um, we have the coastline. And if you, if you look at uh, the latitude and the coastline of Nova Scotia, you will see that uh, there aren't that many islands that you can, uh, can choose between. Uh, so here we have a, a technical side that needs more time if I'm going to to make a good case for it. So I think that we have to jump a little bit here. Yeah, I think you just describe what it is and, and uh, tell us what it is and then people can see the science of it themselves when they follow the, the series. Because here there is this other story coming in because there is a famous island mm. at the coast of Nova Scotia called Oak Island. Oh, the pirate treasure island. 
Yes, the mm. Pirate Treasure Island. And one of the owners of uh, property on Oak Island, he is a land surveyor. Was, his name is Fred Nolan. And he discovered in 1981 that there is a gigantic stone cross on his island. And the, the curious thing about this uh, stone cross uh, that has uh, arms 360 feet long, and this perfect uh, right angle, etc. It has no boulder in the the intersection between the stem and the arms, hmm. the beam. Right. But there is a, a big boulder down the stem. So these big boulders they weigh at least ten tons each, hmm. and the, the cross is eight hundred and sixty some feet uh, long and uh, seven hundred and twenty feet wide. So it smells of design. It smells of deliberate. Artificial. As, as the tour guide on Oakland, uh, Charles Barkhouse used to say that the modern nature is good, but she's not that good. <laughs> right. So I noticed that the distance between the, the lower boulders is 294 feet, which is the Gematria Valley of Rodon, which is rose in Greek. Right. So it's a rose across in a way. And the slope is 60 degrees, very uh, very uh, geometric and uh, 360 degrees of the arms it makes you think about uh, the full circle doesn't it mm. but since this, the boulder is not in the um, in the junction but it down the stem i saw from the description that this cross could possibly fit into be a tree of life mm. so we have five points out of the 10 points, the Sephiroth in the in the Tree of Life. You already had found the Tree of Life in Shakespeare, right? Yeah, yes, that was later. Oh, okay, okay. That was later, because mm. uh, I was looking for something on the last page of the Tempest uh, to, to see if uh, this uh, wonderful play had uh, some final things to say, which it had. But right. this, this is quite a long time back in history. We're talking 2001, I noticed this. This was, oh, before, okay. this was before Shakespeare entered the, the stage in my life. I was interested in Oak Island. And I saw yeah. this video and interview with the friend Nolan, and he told about the cross. Oh my God, you must have been shocked when you connected these two dots. Yes, but it took some time, because I, I didn't uh, see the, the connection, uh, really. Um, but I, I immediately saw that that cross could be a tree of life. But, right. uh, I mean, tree of life, Kabbalists on, on the island, what would that be? But then the, the theory of Shakespeare and uh, Oak Island is launched, and I was thinking, ah, that's, that sounds ridiculous. Yeah, but there were rumors of Night Tempest coming to Oak Island, and they would know. Yeah, but, but I'm just honest there. I, I thought it was, it was ridiculous. Okay. But then when I saw that uh, there are Rosicrucian uh, signatures in Shakespeare, and I knew that uh, the Rosicrucians were Christian Kabbalists, then uh, <laughs> <laughs> I was very interested in look, taking another look at that cross. Yeah, yeah. So I got hold of a book with the measurements of the cross, and I experimented a little bit, and I found that uh, that cross is easily uh, completed into a five by eight tree of life. And we know that the, the tomb of Father Arce is five by eight in size, five feet by eight feet. Mm -hmm. So uh, that's another coincidence. And um, these Sephiroth, uh, they can be counted both ways, from the top and from the bottom. Right. And uh, if you count from the bottom, you will see that 
the seventh Sephiroth is mercy. And I know that uh, we are going towards God's mercy, so the more coincidences uh, piling up here. Mm. And then I, I go to the, the last page of uh, the Tempest, because um, the TT uh, signature in the sonnets has led me on to that, because uh, even if the Tempest begins on page one. It is the 19th page in the book. So that is a T. T is 19. And you're the TT. And then I go to the 19th page of the Tempest, which is the last, um, last page of the play. And then I see that uh, if I count backwards from the end, then when I count 10 words backwards, I find the word crimes. Mm-hmm. And crimes reversed is semi-RC, and RC has the value of 20, and semi means half, half of RC is 10. Mm. And then I continue, and word 20 is mercy, which is a word with RC in it. Right. And I say, okay, so it's put on the margin, and it's down there to the left. So I'm counting backwards, and okay, maybe I should just turn the page upside down, and then I draw the Tree of Life as I find it on on Oak Island in the 5 by 8 setup onto the page. And then I see that the Sephiroth Mercy is exactly where the word Mercy is on, on the, the page. page. So it's, a, it's a acrostical uh, diagram. <laughs> yeah, at least we have the, the perfect match uh, there. And... Um, the character Prospero, he is encouraging that you should pierce mercy and then he will be set free. Mm. So uh, it's uh, something that you really uh, is encouraged to do. So the, the Sephiroth mercy on Oak Island is in the middle of a swamp. Let me just interject here, people, that the Sephiroth, or Sephiroth, that's uh, the point, a point in this diagram called the Tree of Life. It's a ten-dot, ten-point diagram. And uh, Peter here has explained to us now that there is a cross at Oak Island. Oak Island matches with the diagram in the sky that he he tracked through the Shakespearean works. And uh, now he's talking about the mercy point in the code in Shakespeare and how it applies to this map to this place in Oak Island this uh, cross here and now he says that if you're looking for this point called Mercy which is not in the cross that Fred Nolan originally discovered then you end up in what you just call a swamp that's right yeah and the locals they say that that swamp has been uh, made artificially so it didn't uh, used to be a swamp, but uh, someone made it a swamp. And that is the perfect way to conceal something. Yeah. And if you, you're piercing that point, maybe you can uh, pierce a hole into something. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> maybe uh, it's, it's just uh, the, the vault is below the floor of, of that, uh, that swamp. Yeah. So <clears throat> this is um, my point X then. So I went to Oak Island in 2003. And uh, I had given up on uh, on the swamp because uh, I couldn't do any business in uh, in the water. But I went around in the, in the terrain. I, I trespassed onto Nolan's property. I have asked his uh, forgiveness for this. With a, I had a, a super uh, 
DGPS. Uh, DGPS is a radio beacon controlled uh, GPS, which is the one that land surveyors use. It's not the normal GPS, it's accurate down to one foot. Mm. And uh, I, I confirmed that the cross is the way that Nolan uh, and others had said, and uh, I, I found two points, two of these Sephiroth of the Tree of Life, and I dug them. Mm. And I discovered that there were similar stones, granite stones, flat on one side, rounded on the other, on both points. So you've actually found stones on the location which would fit if this was a Tree of Life symbol and not just a cross. Yes, and I also ordered a backhoe to come and help us uh, on one of these spots, uh, just to find out if uh, these kind of stones were typically lying around all over the place. But mm. he was digging in a in a radius of uh, three meters uh, from the stone and a depth of two meters, and he didn't find anything. No. So it was just there where it should be. With artificial symbols on them. I will say that there are three dots on it, but I'm not that's certain if they it could be uh, something uh, that just was uh, falling out of the stone. It's, it's, it's hard to, to put too much Yeah, paper. but isn't it the same on all the stones or on other stones? Markings? Just two, two stones. And the, the other flat stone that was uh, found at the Victory uh, Sephira was weather beaten. So it's impossible to say if there were any dots on that. But it, mm. what they share is the same pink granite and uh, it's flat on one side and uh, rounded on the other and uh, uh, about the same size. Yeah, they can see it for themselves in these areas. But how many stones have we found of the Tree of Life? It's supposed to be 10 in total. How many do we have today? How many is discovered? So seven have been discovered. Wow. That's almost, you're almost there. The two more that we uh, lack, uh, apart from Mercy, of course, uh, they are on Nolan's property and he will not allow us to uh, look for them. Right. So, uh, but Mercy, haven't you found uh, there is something there? Because you went in a boat, didn't you? You didn't give up just because of some water. So what did you do? We went out to, onto the swamp and we, we, we pierced uh, the ground. Mer- the Mercy. Hope, hope, <laughs> see, yes. Yeah. Uh, and uh, it is peculiar. It's it's not a typical swamp. No. So I agree uh, reluctantly uh, with those who say that the swamp has been man-made. Yeah, but you can see it from above. It's perfectly formed like a triangle. It is. And what you see is that the beach is different from the normal beach on Oak Island. Mm. The, there are no... Um, Big boulders, they're just uh, uniform uh, cobblestones, uh, so it, it's very slick compared to the rest of uh, Oak Island. And also, the, the owners have found uh, stumps of tree on the bottom. And of course, these stumps could have been flushed over the ledge uh, during storms, but um, the age of the, the, the stumps. Uh, that they have tested it with uh, carbon-14 dating, and they say that those stumps, they were uh, dying somewhere between 1460 and 1540, uh, 1640. So, so it's right in the window here, but if they were stumps that had naturally floated, then we know that the water level in the 1600 was uh, about one meter lower so it's even harder for a tree stump to float 
across over over the ledge. Mm. So uh, I, I find it hard to believe that this was uh, what happened. I think that that tree was growing on the bottom where there is now uh, a swamp. So it is an artificial swamp. So what else has been discovered there? Yep. You have magnet, uh, magnetic stones or something out there that makes compasses go haywire. So you lose yeah. the direction of north. That's so fascinating. And uh, they have, um, on the ice, gone over it with uh, the most sophisticated metal detectors available. And they find that there are huge uh, signals uh, indicating non-ferrous metal right. uh, down there. And uh, they found a coin from 1652 on the bottom where Merse is. Uh, which is a little late for me, but uh, I can't know wh why would someone want to go out there. So I think that the rumors of something having been out there was still around and some later visitors went out there and maybe tossed a, a coin onto it for good luck or whatever. <laughs> for instance, but let me interject very quickly for people who wouldn't know uh, that the people have been digging in Oak Island for a century because it's probably the world's most famous treasure island. There's this insistence that there's something there and there's a lot of theories and the Night Templars theories, but we should try to substantiate the hypothesis that fits your discovery and uh, then we could start with Baker because if what has been found here you locating the treasure map that has been found in Shakespeare and you located it so pinpointedly to this island actually haven't you by the way drawn a diagram from from uh, no that's not you but someone else has drawn a diagram how oak island fits with the uh, larger ley lines there is a guy called Eystein Bruno Larsen and he saw that uh, the 60 degree slope of the cross can be continued all the way into Jerusalem right and there's someone called Kurt Lindahl he's he's done the same thing too mm. but anyway so if we have that something buried here uh, this may be the entrance or it may be the vault itself but Let's look at Bacon then. Could he have done this? He probably wouldn't have done it himself unless he faked his own death and uh, went west. But uh, he had a um, young guy called uh, Thomas Bushel who was a part of his uh, household. And uh, he left England uh, for two periods and uh, combining five years away and when he came back uh, he uh, began a career as a mining expert right. and he was an expert in manipulating water so maybe he experienced something while he was away so if he masterminded this himself or if he joined the Spanish uh, mining engineers for instance um, yeah. that, that is pure speculations but uh, he writes in his books in his old days that he has completed his master's Solomon's house right. this sounds very Masonic doesn't it? It sounds like he got instructions from Bacon but since we have a short time I'd like to talk about what this is in my opinion mm. so this cross to me, it is a unification of the old and the new pact in uh, the shape of a templum. Not a temple in uh, our uh, normal way of looking at a temple, but the original classical templum, mm -hmm. which is a geometric layout on the ground uh, that um, is the foundation for the edifice that later is to be what we call the temple. So this uh, templum is uh, the new 
the third temple, if you like, uh, since uh, the temple uh, in Jerusalem was the second temple that was raised by uh, the Romans in, in the year 70. Mm-hmm. I say that uh, the lamp that is described in Fama Fraternitatis, which is not the sun, but had learned to shine from the sun, that is the same description as we read in the, the Kabbalistic uh, book, the Zohar, when it is describing one of the items that the Romans looted in year 70. That is the, the candle the light, the candelabra, the, the menorah, the seven-branched uh, candle. The menorah, the sacred object. Yes. So I think that this was something that had uh, come into the hands of King James. And then he became king of England and Scotland, and uh, then they uh, inherited the Nova Scotia, and... Uh, they saw all kinds of possibilities for making a new temple. For... I, thought, uh, I thought Bacon was the owner of Oak Island at that. What was the name of the island back then? The first British name is Gloucester Isle, but uh, Bacon was part of uh, the ownership, but it is on British hands. Mm. So when I say King James, he owned it. I mean, it's, it's England who controls uh, Nova Scotia. Didn't you find references to Gloucester? And also, you found another reference. Sure, but this this is the technical part that I just we just leave it. We, oh, we are okay, not going okay. there for this radio show. If people are interested, then right, right. by all means, try to look up the book. But uh, um, it's not even in the films because uh, it's so technical. I but it, I, it's beautiful if you if you see. It, but uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, yeah. Okay. So this is the third temple. This is a new temple, and mm-hmm. the reason I say this is that the. The name that Ben Jonson gave Shakespeare, the Sweet Swan of Avon. We have reversal all the time here, and we have Greek and uh, Latin letters uh, interchanged. So if you if you take the word swan, S-W-A-N, and you reverse it, then you get naos, because the W is, of course, an omega yeah. in Greek. So it's a Greek word, naos is a Greek word, means temple. Yeah. And then you have Nova, which straightforward is Avon, uh, Nova, New Temple. Right. Sweet swan. And then you have uh, Sweet, <laughs> five letters. And in this Greek and uh, English uh, cipher system that Bacon uh, used, we have not touched upon that, but that mm. is demonstrable. There's no doubt that they used it. I have a copy of a letter that mm. demonstrates that he did. Then the age is the E, this eta, and uh, the W is an omega. So you, you reverse sweet into theos, which is God. So new temple of God, the swan. Right. Sweet swan of heaven is the new temple of God. And they constructed it, the masons, they really built the temple. They just mm. didn't talk about it. This is the new Solomon's temple, if you like, but the new temple at least. Mm. Which sounds like a good place to move the stuff that was in the old temple. It's this perfect place. And it's also the the core, the... Um, foundation stone of the new continent, the new coveted right. land of milk and honey, just as Israel yes. was for the uh, the Hebrews. So, And we all know how important America was as a project for the Masons or the Masonic founders. There's lots of books out there how the new continent of America should be this utopia, this new Atlantis, this project for the new age, so to speak. We do, don't we, Al? <laughs> we all know this. So, with Washington and everything. So, yeah. so this is a Masonic and uh, maybe also very real 
the temple uh, foundation stone which has the menorah and the manuscripts of uh, William Shakespeare and also possibly uh, an ark, not necessarily the ark, but I think that uh, the Templars went to Ethiopia and snatched the Ethiopian yeah. ark and brought it uh, along as well. But didn't you find references to both ark and menorah in the tomb of Shakespeare? Sure, uh, but uh, we don't have time. <laughs> we can't cover it, no, no. But we should mention it because there's so much we haven't mentioned. So just when we now uh, lay out the hypothesis scenario, then remember, it's built on much more than we ramble about now. So we have the menorah in the tomb, possibly. We have the ark, possibly. And you mentioned we have the manuscript. Uh, some of the people who digged for treasure, didn't they find some mercury, quicksilver preserved pages? Could you just talk shortly about that? Because that's significant. They found mercury in the monopit. And we know that Francis Bacon described mercury as... Uh, useful way of preserving paper because it will keep uh, air and uh, moist away from the paper. And they also found a tiny piece of paper deep down into the so-called monopit at 153 feet, almost 154, the same number as the sonnets. Down they found uh, a cement box and inside of it uh, they they brought up a piece of paper. They thought it was parchment, but I believe that uh, it is paper. Mm. And that would stand water if they used Bacon's method to preserving it with mercury, right? Yeah, but they did find traces of mercury in the monopit. And they also have found on the island a dump of uh, pottery flasks with uh, mercury residue in Wow. So, uh, so what... there was up to something. Yeah. <laughs> yes, lots of... Uh... <laughs> Evidence. Indications. Uh, and I say all the Spanish coins they found, if the English bacon people arranged this, they would have to use Spanish sailors because they were cheap in, in labor and they wouldn't understand uh, what they were talking about between themselves. It makes lots of sense because uh, in Almaden in Spain, they had these uh, important uh, quicksilver uh, mines right. and they were famous for having used slaves and also convicts as uh, labor. So I think that um, this was the way they did it. They sailed up to Spain, uh, a few Englishmen and uh, as few as possible, and they teamed up with the Spanish. They went over, mm. they did the work with the convicts and slaves and uh, mercury from uh, Almaden mines. And uh, maybe some Spanish heard about this and visited the island later on and uh, tossed a coin onto it. Or maybe they were out there trying to, to open uh, the vault, but uh, gave up. Uh, who knows? Or it could have been a preservance mission, because I don't know when this was lost. But in the beginning, they must have had a continuing line of knowing what was there. Well, I need, think that they needed to check that it worked, because if this is uh, an artificial swamp, then... It was lined with clay, and uh, I think that they would like to know that it really filled with water, <laughs> right. that it did the trick. So I have been thinking that it was already a swamp and that they had this kind of inverted coffer dam, dam around it so that mm. uh, they could uh, uh, dig uh, in the dry soil, and then when everything was completed, they just uh, removed uh, the dam, and then uh, water would cover it immediately. But uh, maybe it wasn't so. Maybe um, they uh, constructed a dam from scratch. 
Yeah, uh, it belongs to the story to say that it is in a very elaborate structure over there with traps and everything. You'll see when you watch the clips. But the thing is, it they could have had already, they could have already been some kind of caves and structures there. For instance, from the Templars or natural that they just exploited and adjusted and tweaked, so mm, to speak. That is very possible. Um, when things happened is is very difficult to say, but uh, it must ha- the the cross must have been laid out when they used uh, feet, and uh, so we can't go that many centuries back in time. So the Templars would have used uh, another measurement, because it only comes to life when you look upon it with uh, with English uh, looking glasses. Um, with uh, the distances having uh, miles, sacred, sacred numbers like the, the the top distance is 147 feet, which is um, 147 the Euclid uh, three for five triangle, and also mm. 147 pages in uh, in the the first edition of Homo Fraternitatis, and mm. the book written by Thomas Bushel, the mining expert, when he arrived back in 1628, 147 pages. So. Uh, no, sorry, that was 173 pages, 17 and 3, sorry. But at least uh, these numbers, they come alive when you uh, you see them in feet. And, mm-hmm. and so it must have been an English construction. So, so what we got here, people, is that we may have a treasure place where the menorah is buried, where the... Even the Ark is buried, and even the original missing manuscripts of Shakespeare, perfectly preserved in a method that was known back then among these people, which works. And we find traces of all these things too. So it's, it's not just taken out of our back ends, but it's actually corroborated by finds. Now, in addition to all this, we may even have Francis Bacon's own body. We may, because his grave is empty. Right. And if he was, um, for all practical purposes, the father, CRC, mm. himself, then it fits with the Fama that he is buried with his book and the lamp on exactly. this 5 by 8 site. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so when you see these people, when you see it, you will understand because this this isn't the medium to describe such a thing but um, you have um, a movie actually you have one movie that was in english uh, the one with robert crompton mm. but that's not out in the commercial market or is it it is for scandinavian viewers so you can find it uh, or used um, i'm not sure if it's still on but Look it up on the Vimeo, the video on demand the section there. It used to be there, but it will resurface uh, shortly. But what you can do is to go to Vimeo, and <clears throat> it's probably not a great surprise that the, the four-part TV series is called Sweet Swan of Avon. Yeah. So just look for Sweet Swan of Avon and it's uh, free of charge. Don't bother. Uh, just go to the guest presentation at our page. We'll we'll link all these things. You don't have to look for it. We'll link to all of it. Yes, and when you have uh, seen this uh, series, if you are hungry for more, then uh, you go to Amazon and you spend $4 and buy my ebook. It's only available as an ebook. It's not a published on demand book. So uh, What's it called? It is uh, called... Uh, 
Oak Island and the Treasure Map in Shakespeare. So okay. it's it's written. The title is uh, an iambic pentameter, like, just like Shakespeare would have uh, used. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice touch. Yeah. But this book does this outline your whole adventure, or just the Oak Island part, or uh, is it just an introduction? How big is it? How deep does it go? The, the ebook is uh, the whole thing, but it's. Uh, it's not everything. It is uh, user-friendly, so it's something mm. that you could read uh, in a shorter time. You don't have to be a Yola to read it. Okay, that's reassuring. No, I, I think it has uh, 30 reviews on Amazon and uh, an average of uh, at least four stars, so people tend to like it. Okay, that's excellent. And uh, for Scandinavians listeners, they could also look up, uh, we mentioned in the beginning, Erland Lou, the famous Norwegian author. He wrote a book with you called The Organist. And that is published in in seven countries, so you may be oh. lucky. So it's uh, if you are Swedish or Danish or Finnish or Dutch or uh, Russian or Ukrainian, uh, Polish, then uh, you'll find it in wow. your language. Just not English. Not English, because <laughs> the reaction is, oh God, not another shake. Not another one. But uh, hey, the Canadian listeners, they should pay attention because uh, uh, this is in your own backyard, people. Well, the Canadians are probably aware, but all you others, there is an ongoing digging there right now, actually. And uh, there is this series, very popular series called um, The Curse of Oak Island, and so yes. far it has eight million viewers. So yes, and it goes on History Channel, mm. and it's two seasons. And you visited in season one. I did. And uh, in season two, they went back to that place, and uh, still they haven't managed to really check out that area but they're going to and i have found some stuff so far so when you've gone through all the peter stuff you can complete it by watching what those cowboys out there are doing they're not 100 percent behind peter but they have they know about he's briefed them he's showed them so they can't afford not to check it out so it's a part of this big story and i want also to tell you i don't know if you know this even peter but the masons have um, actually there is a claim about Canada and the Masons that there is old, old Masonic traditions in Canada that prefaces even the Canadian state. Mm. Uh, so there's a sort of a Canadian version of Masonry. We can't go into details about this, but it corroborates this whole story. I didn't know. But it's fun, fun to see that so many old people involved with uh, the history of digging on Oak Island have been Freemasons. That too. Even even you who discovered this used to be a mason once upon a time, right? Sure. I consider myself a mason because I have been initiated. It's just that I'm not uh, part of uh, the registry and I'm not paying the fees. <laughs> but that didn't have a bearing on this, did it? Oh, yes. I wouldn't have known anything if I hadn't gone through my Masonic training. So uh, I, when I give talks about this, which I do uh, with pleasure, uh, I used to say that the map has been sent in one direction and the toolbox for interpreting the map has been sent in another direction. Right. And the map is in Shakespeare and the toolbox is in Freemasonry. Right. And then it took a guy like you to connect those dots. 
Yes, someone a Norwegian uh, with no respect for culture and uh, <laughs> he's uh, a maniac when it comes to finding the answer. On the contrary, I'd venture that uh, if we're onto something here, we're actually fulfilling the, the, our ancestors' wish. So uh, sometimes culture can uh, freeze into dogma and then uh, someone needs to break it and make a new pact, a new covenant. There is uh, a curious, uh, curious synchronicity here. Uh, uh, you're talking about your number and five numbers uh, and uh, you have five letters that line up in a very um, I, I, hard to find the adjective but when Bacon is talking about his uh, Mercury preservation method in Silva Silvarium the, um, his book that was published when he, he was dead he refers to the first king of Rome who uh, was buried with his books and they were preserved not in mercury but in some kind of beeswax or candle wax. Wow. Uh, but his name was uh, Numa Pompilius or Numa P. And if you reverse Numa P, what do you get, Al? Uma. Numa. N U M A and then P. P is the initial. P is the initial. So uh, you reverse it. And then what do you get? Pamu? P. Ammon. P. Ammon. Very Masonic. You just you just lack the Zon and then you have my name or a Zen. Oh, I was thinking of Ammon as in the Egyptian god. Ah, but uh, it's my name. P is for Peter. And... <laughs> okay, so... But, but, but I see what I see. I mean, uh, I, I think it's funny. But, uh... it is. but hey, if the invisible hand is involved, why not? Why not? Someone it, has to do it. It is there. It is yeah. uh, my P and the, the first four names, four letters in my name, and uh, I can't do anything about it. And that is what the bacon uses to. That's so funny. Describe this. And uh, on page 131 in uh, tragedies, uh, 131 is the value of Freemasonry, and the, the map to Gloucester Island is on page 131 in uh, the history section. We have not touched about it, but. The 131 in the, in the tragedies, the beginning of Macbeth, and there they talk about uh, the Norway king and the powers of Norway, and and they also talk about one other thing, they they give a name to the Norway king. No. The, the name of the Norway king is the name of the father of a royal crown princess. So they they call the the Norway king for Svenno. <laughs> People don't know who Svanu is, but this is. But he's famous for Norwegians. Yeah, yeah, this is funny. This is comical. So I, <laughs> it's, it's like God pulling a joke. Yeah, it is. But you know, Peter, there are these conspiracy theories out there. I, I bet I, I can already hear some of them saying, that, no, this is a huge Masonic plot. It's not a coincidence. This is ordered by the Masons, and that's why you, with your name, and you know, it's all planned, it's all pre-planned. But you know what? It doesn't matter what you believe. If you think this is a coincidence, if you think this is uh, some kind of invisible uh, divine will, if you think this is uh, deliberate by Bacon, or if you even think it's uh, some kind of contemporary group controlling the world, in any case... If there's something there, we'll find it. And that's that's the real mystery here, to see what's there. And you know the treasure here, or the good thing. This story is so beautiful, so well-knit. And yeah. even if it 
turns out to be nothing. The story is beautiful by itself and it's something that has value. So that is why I tell it. It's true. And why you began, perfect circle, Peter. You began by worrying a little bit if you are right. Yes. Could you just now update us why this is a big deal? Because I, I fear that for many people that cross on Oak Island will not suffice as a third temple. If suddenly objects that used to uh, be part of uh, both the first and the second temple um, if we're talking about the ark of the covenant or or a version of it uh, or the menorah from herod's temple if they suddenly pop up some people will see this as a sign from god that now they must build the third temple and they know perfectly well where they want to build that temple. And Yerushalmi. that is the place where the Muslims have their mosque, the third most sacred place to the Muslims. And this spells W-A-R. Hmm. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? Yeah. So uh, therefore, it's it's good to tell the story. But hey, I don't want to be proved the uh, truth there. Uh, yeah, because but, the Jews too have a claim there. Both the Christians, the Jews and the Muslims. Yes, but it only takes one crazy guy to uh, do something. Mm. I mean, if someone blows up the, uh, the Dome of the Rock mosques, then I don't think that is a good thing for world no, peace. No, no, there are fundamentalists and they will interpret this as uh, some kind of fated... Uh, yeah. Mm. Yeah, and they will probably feel that they are uh, entitled, e- selected by God to to accomplish this, and now is the time. Mm. And people want Jesus to uh, come back, and he will not come before the third temple is built. So Christians will join in this uh, chorus as well. But do you think that uh, the Masons, the Bacon, and all these people who's behind this, do you think they intended for this to be generally known or just for their own people? Ooh, ha. Hard question, but what do you think? <laughs> I think that they would know the, the character of the human, and the character of the human uh, is such that if you have a story as good as this one, you cannot just keep it to yourself. Mm-hmm. Plus, in in Pharma, they did promise that it would be mainstream one day, didn't they? Yeah, so let's hope that uh, manhood will cope with this. And uh, in the meantime, let's hope that it's difficult to get a definite answer about that swamp. Yeah. The, that the producers of the Curse of Oak Island will like to have three or four more seasons before they solve the mystery. Yeah, they're really slowly <laughs> torturing us. <laughs> they are. It's very, they are milking it for all it's worth. This is commercial. Oh, that, that is uh, that is good for business. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the CEO of Prometheus, he told me that he was uh, foreseeing that he could make at least 100 hours of television on Oak Island. Wow. But that just goes to show that they have found something, and so this, this was before the first season. Oh right, okay. So I'm not on, on speaking terms with them now. They they won't answer anything from me because I I teamed up with the wrong guys. I yeah. I think that this um, theory, if it has any merit, it's so important that politicians need to step up and protect the island yeah. from uh, people drilling holes because these guys are experts in drilling holes. These are oil drillers. So, um, yeah, so all of Canadians listeners, you should uh, alert your locals to, to get some kind of protection of this place and hopefully also a public uh, investigation. Uh, it should be 
be uh, checked out. So if they find something, I hope it will be archaeological researched and preserved. Yes, this this is the point there. So not not necessarily that the, the government pays for it, but to to change the legislation so that they need to consult with an archaeologist before they do things because there is uh, a void in the law in uh, Nova Scotia that, that there is something called the Oak Island Act mm. that m- will make it different from uh, the other parts of uh, Oak Island from Nova Scotia and even in in Canada uh, in that you uh, do not uh, need to talk to uh, the archaeologists before you do something there if you have the treasure trove license which these guys have so there has been a, a bill of law called bill 40 that was uh, launched uh, and i supported this bill and teamed up with a politician over there and uh, because i did this then uh, I was uh, some kind of a Judas uh, to the owners and uh, they refused to talk to me. But I believe that uh, as long as my theory has any merit, then it is so important that uh, you move ahead responsibly and slowly and um, consider what the next step should be. And uh, that this is not dictated by someone who is uh, producing television. But then again, this producer wants to uh, produce season after season. So maybe this is the best protection. Who knows? <laughs> Good point. Right now, they're digging at what's called a money pit. I'll just at the end here inject that there is a plate they found when they dig there. The plate has gone missing or a stone. But uh, you have this Swedish researcher who claims to have found a confirmation of uh, Francis Bacon even there. Daniel. So, Daniel, yes. Mm-hmm. Just a short uh, a short call out to him. I, I know you're not probably 100% behind that theory, but it, if it's right, it does corroborate your theory, at least. We have the same hero. Yeah, yeah. Let's uh, <laughs> end with that good note. So, yeah, we've been talking with Petter Amundsen. Well, it's probably sounded like two crazy Norwegians rambling and ranting, but uh, I dare you to take a look at uh, the links uh, I'm putting out. Just start with the first episode. And if it doesn't make sense or if it's boring or whatever, then by all means move on. But uh, I can say this with satisfaction because I know people get hooked. Uh, here in Norway, you become some kind of a local hero. To it's very dividing stuff, by the way. Either they love you or they hate you. You've noticed, huh? Sure. So this is—it's so filled with emotion. But um, well, it's the—it's the human story all over again. Yeah. You know, thank you for coming on and trying to put this into words with us, Peter. It's been very interesting. Thank you, Al, for giving me the opportunity, and I hope that it hasn't been too confusing for <laughs> the poor listener. But uh, it uh, it is a primer in that when you look at the video, if you feel like it, then uh, it will be some kind of repetition, and then uh, it's much easier to follow. Yeah, and more depth and more easily vision. So at least we hope we have given them a little appetizer. Hmm? I hope so. Yeah. Okay, then uh, I can just say thank you. Thank you, you too. The pleasure is all mine. Yeah. If you want to see some of these extraordinary codes for yourself, just follow the links under the YouTube clips of the show. And of course, as always, if you go to our presentation of Peter at our website, next to his bio, you'll find several links to the books and documentaries in question. 
The material covering his discoveries and work so far are the book he wrote together with the Norwegian author Erland Lou called The Organist, which you may find in your own language if you're lucky, and which will be published in English under another title in the near future. This book is the most thorough account of the journey of Petter Amundsen's research. Then there's the simpler one, which focuses more on the Templar treasure part of the story, called Oak Island and the Treasure Map in Shakespeare, which is available for a few dollars as an e-book. Then there's the media documentaries, and pay attention now, folks, because they ought to be viewed in a specific chronology. You start with the TV series in four parts, called Sweet Swan of Avon, Shakespeare's Hidden Codes, and that's available in English, which we link to. Then there's the follow-up, a movie called Shakespeare, The Hidden Truth. This one is available at demand on Vimeo, but not yet with English subtitles. However, over half of the movie is spoken in English, so if you've already seen the rest, you can make out most of it, and of course it's as visual as the rest of this matter. The right sequence to watch the next unfoldment of events is to either watch season 1 of the popular ongoing History Channel series The Curse of Oak Island, or if you cannot digest that somewhat tabloid and sensational format, just watch the two episodes from season 1 which is concerned with Peter's approach. Again, we'll put out links for this. Next. There is an update for about half an hour called The Secret of the Island, which is not yet turned into an English version, but like the movie, partly consists of spoken English, so it's still possible to understand for non-Norwegians too. And finally, if you're hooked like most become, then there's the second season of the History Channel series, The Curse of Oak Island, where they make another attempt to investigate the mercy point in the swamp. Season 3 of that series is not yet released at the time of this forum, but is in the works. Apart from all this, there's also smaller clips available for the real junkies, both on the Facebook site of Amundsen's work and some other places online. We shall try to link to most of it. Only time will tell if and what is found and excavated on this strange island that once was called Arcadia, where the legend alleges that Sinclair brought the Holy Grail, later named Gloucester Island after patron of the Freemasons Humphrey, Duke of Gloucester, who was also called the Swan, and finally Oak Island, to where a team of Bacon's quote-unquote Rosicrucian group followed his plan and brought such relics as the menorah, the Ark of the Covenant, and maybe even the Shakespearean original manuscripts, if we are to believe the codes Petter has uncovered. Of one thing you can be sure, there will be more updates regarding this ongoing real-life mystery, especially from the History Channel team, but we may just get more takes on it from Peter and his team too. Tune in to our next program in this series of Esoteric Mysteries, where we'll deal more with Oak Island. 
thanks for joining us through this strange phenomenon. Difficult as it is to make sense of via audio, but nonetheless, we hope it was to your pleasing. You can help out with donations, but beyond that, it is also important to spread our programs to your network, be that through Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, or other channels. Remember, social media sites spread files based on a so-called activity algorithm, meaning shares, likes, comments, etc. So the more you interact and spread our programs, the more visible they become for those who have not yet discovered the forum. Let's thank those listeners who's supported us thus far. You are responsible for keeping the forum alive. Your host today has been me, Al, now signing off with the Borealis team. Be seeing you. Who is number one?